tonight, I didn't tell pastor I was going to do this, but tonight I'm going to expose the member of the body that can split this church. It's not a prominent member. It may not even be a popular member. In fact, James calls it a little member. It's a member of the body called the tongue. If you have your Bible, would you turn to James chapter 3, really the proof text in the New Testament on this matter of the tongue. And I want us to take a look at this passage of Scripture tonight. We're going to read just a few verses. We'll pray, and then we'll ask the Lord help us during our time together. In James chapter 3, in verse 1, God inspired these words. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. In other words, don't swell the ranks to be teachers of God's word because we have a greater responsibility when we get up and and we deliver the truth and we're going to be held accountable for that. And the last thing that I want to happen is for me to get to heaven and after years of preaching, God look at me and and look at me and say, you told my people, I said, what? And he's saying, wait, before you swell the ranks of being a teacher, realize we have a greater condemnation. It says, for in many things, in verse 2, we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turn about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea attained and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. I want to preach to you a very simple message tonight entitled Taming the Tiger Behind the Teeth. Taming the tiger behind the teeth. Father, thank you for our time tonight. And oh God, we pray that you would just take your word tonight. And Father, would you just crowd out the distractions of the day. Father, would you just take maybe all the problems of life that just surround us. And all the different voices that are vying for our attention. And then maybe just tonight, would we be able to focus on on your word. And Father, would you just show us maybe one thing in our life that needs to change. And then by your grace, would you give us victory? Thank you in advance for what you'll do tonight, Father. I pray you would capture and control some tongues tonight to use for your glory. We pray these things in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. It was several years ago, Chris and I were ministering up in Ohio, and it was in the wintertime. We didn't have our trailer. When I started to pull a 43-foot trailer, I learned the little phrase that went something like this, wherever it snows, the trailer doesn't go. And it's kind of hard to keep those things on, ice-packed roads. And, and so we just went up there. We stayed in the hotel. And, and as I was preaching that week, we came back one night. And I turned on the, the TV in the hotel room to kind of catch the news to see if there was going to be more snow or what the weather forecast was. And I guess the TV was already on this channel. I don't know if it was the Animal Planet or Nat Geo Wild or whatever it was. But there was some show of some guy going around the continent of Africa, and he was finding and photographing the top 10 deadliest snakes on the continent of Africa. 
And I thought to myself, either that get, guy's getting paid a lot of money or he's got a lot of free time or a combination of the two, which is really dangerous. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not afraid of snakes, but I do have a healthy respect for them. And, uh, and uh, number two on this list was some type of pit viper. Number one was the black mamba. And I don't know if you've ever seen one. I have, and I'm telling you, that is an impressive animal. It could travel 17 miles an hour, strike 13 times within 100 feet, and during that distance of 100 feet as it's traveling to you. And it's just really, it's an impressive animal. But number two is some type of pit viper. And so this guy walks over to this bush, and he hits this bush, and poof, this snake stands up about three feet tall. It's enough to make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. And he moves out of that bush and he's hissing, he's throwing venom, he's got sunglasses on, and all the venom is, is all over his face and sunglasses. Those pit vipers do that to blind you, to kind of get you away, and, and, uh, and it's throwing venom on him and it's hissing. And so the guy gets down on his knees, and I thought, what is this guy doing? He gets down on his knees, he's distracting the snake with his hand, he's focusing the camera with his hand, and I guess the only one distracted was him, because the snake looked over at his arm and wham, bit him right on the arm. Now you could tell everything that was in the script in that show just went out the window. Man, he throws the camera down. He says, guys, guys, I got bit. I got bit. He starts running to the truck. And I don't know what the cameraman was thinking, but he was like, man, this is awesome. And he started chasing and filming the whole thing. They jump into the truck. They're flying down the highway 45 minutes to the hospital. They take a blood pump and they try to suck all the venom out. They put a tourniquet on to try to stop the venom from traveling in, in that bloodstream. And they she shot himself with some anti-venom that they had with them. He walks in. They film him 45 minutes later. He walks into the hospital. He tells the nurse, I think I need a gurney. And he falls over on the floor and goes into a coma for four hours almost dies. He wakes up out of that coma after four hours of being in a coma. And when he opened his eyes, you know what the first thing he saw was? The camera guy. Hey man, how do you feel now? You almost died. The doctor came in and said, man, if you didn't have that anti-venom, you would have been, you would have been dead on arrival. You wouldn't even made it to the hospital. They film this guy walking, being discharged out of the hospital. He walks out of the hospital. They go to the truck. He and his team, they drive out to the same desert. The guy walks up to the same bush. The same snake comes out, hissing, throwing venom, trying to bite him. He gets down on his knees and he takes a picture. And I thought to myself, here is one of the greatest snake tamers in the world, and even he cannot avoid being bit by the serpent. My friend, do you know how many times that God compares the words that you and I speak to that of a deadly venom in a poisonous snake? In James 3, he says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. In Psalm 58, 4, their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear. In Psalm 140, verse 3, they have sharpened their tongues like a serpent. Adder's poison is under their lips, a very poisonous serpent in the Middle East. In Romans 3, 13 and 14, the poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and of bitterness. And do you realize that the words that you and I speak do the same amount of damage sometimes as a deadly uh, snake and the poisonous venom that comes out of them? 
And maybe eternity will tell the damage that's been done by maybe some of us in this room tonight because we used our tongues in a wrong way. There's no quicker way to ruin your testimony than with your tongue. I want you to notice a few facts about the power of the tongue tonight, and I'm done. Notice, number one, that the tongue has the power to dominate. The tongue has the power to dominate. Would you look at verse 3? Notice what the scripture says. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. So now James, in verse 3 and 4, he gives two pictures to say the same thing. Notice in verse 3, he says, behold, it's emphatic in the text, and he's basically trying to get the reader's attention. He's saying, listen to me, if you were not paying attention earlier, listen to me now, behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us. I was preaching at a camp in Colorado. We, we were going horseback riding, and I jumped on, I think it was a Clydesdale. I mean, this thing was a huge horse. It was just massively wide, and one kick from this horse could probably kill you. I mean, it was just this massive horse. In fact, the trail that we were on, I had to put both my legs up on the saddle on top of the horse because the horse was scraping the trees on, with his belly on both sides of that trail. I mean, there's nowhere for your legs. I mean, this was a massive animal. But you know what's amazing? I could tell that, that horse to stop, to go, to turn left, to turn right, even though this was an incredible animal that I really couldn't physically subdue because that animal was stronger than I was, but I was able to control it with a little small metal bit that was in its mouth. And here's the illustration, something small controlling and having a power over something large. Would you look at verse four? He gives us another picture now to say the same thing. In verse four, he says, behold, again, he says, pay attention. Behold also the ships, though they be so great, are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. I was preaching in Scotland, or, and on my way over to Ireland, we took the ferry, and it was amazing. This ferry had semi-trucks on it, cars, thousands of people, and this ferry got over to Ireland, and it pulled right up to the dock, and this captain of the boat pulled it right within an inch of that dock without ever hitting the dock, this huge, massive boat that just had all these semi-trucks and people and cars, and you know how he was able to do that? Because under the ship, there's a little thing called a rudder that he was using to guide him and to bring him right into port again the illustration something small controlling something big and then the scriptures go on to say even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth the bismarck was a german battleship that served as the third reich's undefeated champion on the atlantic ocean This was the bad boy of the high seas. Nobody, no navy, no ship in any navy could defeat the German battleship, the Bismarck. It sank ship after ship after ship. And on one particular day, that uh, the German battleship, the Bismarck, was after the HMS Ark Royal. That was an aircraft carrier for the British Navy and the Prince of Wales, a destroyer. The Prince of Wales turned around that ship, turned around and started to fire at the Bismarck to try to distract it. And some of the uh, planes took off of that uh, aircraft carrier, the HMS Ark Royal. They were uh, wood biplanes and they were, they were, they were a group of, 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 uh, of planes called the Swordfish. And they were kind of antiquated, but they took off, they circled around and just in a last ditch effort to try to slow down the Bismarck so the 
our aircraft carrier could escape, they dropped some torpedoes in the water. And as fate would have it, one of those torpedoes struck the back of the Bismarck, damaging the rudder. Smoke now began to billow out from the backside of the German battleship, the Bismarck. And now the ship was just making one giant circle, one just big left turn. All the other British Navy, they realized the Bismarck's rudder has been damaged. It has lost its ability to steer and now is just going into a circle. They called all their Navy and all the boats to turn around and come back. They circled around the Bismarck. They loaded every piece of artillery they had and they won an overwhelming victory. And you know what? Tonight, the Bismarck is sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Here is a ship nobody could beat. Yet when a very small thing like a rudder was damaged. It was absolutely destroyed. And you know what James says? Even so, just like that. Oh yeah, the tongue's a little member. It boasteth great things. Folks, this is a huge issue. This affects every single one of us. This impacts your marriage. This impacts your kids. This impacts your job and your testimony and how you share the gospel. And you know what James is beginning to say? Listen, man, the tongue is the power to dominate. Man, don't fall asleep on this. Don't just forget about it. This ought to be something at the forefront of your mind. Daily, you ought to be asking God to capture and to control your tongue. You ought to have the prayer just like this song that he asked the Lord to help the meditations of his heart and the words of his mouth to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It has the power to dominate. And maybe for some of you, your tongue is destroying your marriage or maybe your tongue is destroying your relationship with your kids or with your mom and dad or maybe just other problems and troubles have come in. It's a huge issue. It has the power, number one, to dominate. But would you look at verse number six as well? It says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire. Look at this next phrase, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body. You know what James says here? That it, the tongue is a world of iniquity. You know what another way to say that is? There are thousands of ways you can sin with your tongue. And man, it is so easy. Maybe the easiest way to sin is with our tongue. I want you to see, number one, the tongue has the power to dominate. But number two, the tongue has the power to defile. And maybe there are some here tonight, you are not right with God tonight because some of the words that have come out of your mouth. Maybe there's a husband and wife that had a cross word or a harsh word that was spoken even on the way to the meeting tonight. Maybe there are some marriages represented in this room or maybe online that you can't get through a week without a major blow up. Maybe you're a young person and you can't get through a day without a blow up with your brother or your sister. You wake up, man, it's like cats and dogs and you just fight and man, the language or, or the tongue just cutting each other down. Man, it has the power to defile. God's after to capture and control that kind of tongue. Notice a few ways how this scripture tells us how the tongue can be used liquidly. There, it's a world of iniquity. There are thousands of ways, would you just consider just a few, that the Bible addresses. Notice, first of all, there is something called the chattering tongue. The chattering tongue. This is a kind of tongue that speaks without thinking about what they're saying. It's someone that just rambles on and on and on and on. 
You know, if you've ever been stuck in traffic and uh, you see a road construction guy working, well, you ought to take a picture of that. You don't see that very often. Usually they're sitting around in groups of 10 or 20 drinking something hot. One guy's doing all the work and all the other guys are supervising. And, uh, but have you ever seen that? A guy's got a jackhammer, pneumatic hammer, and he's breaking apart the concrete. You know, one hit from that jackhammer is not going to do a lot of damage to the concrete. You know what it is? It's the repetitive hits. It's what breaks that hard surface and does the damage. You realize that you speak enough words to produce a 54-page book every day. You produce about 66, 800-page books every year. We speak anywhere between 18,000 and 30,000 words. One guy came up with a distressing fact that men speak about 25,000 words and women speak 30,000 words and women use all their 30,000 words after 5 p.m. Now, I don't know who came up with that, but I'm sure he's in big trouble with his wife. But you know what? If you're an average person, you're going to spend about a fifth of your lifetime talking. And you know what? It is so easy to say something and go, oh, man, man, I wasn't really thinking about what I was saying. Listen to these quotes and see how easy it is to say something you didn't really realize what you were saying. Brooke Shields, during an interview to become a spokesperson for a federal anti-smoking campaign, she said, quote, smoking kills If you're killed, you've lost a very important part of your life. Yeah, you're dead. (laughs) Here's Mayor Marion Barry of Washington, D.C. Remember him? Said, outside of the killings, Washington is one of the lowest crime rates in the country. (laughs) Hey, never mind all the drive-by. Bring the kids, man. It's a great place. Here's former French President Charles de Gaulle. Not de garde, de Gaulle. And he said this, and they probably had a prepping for hours, quote, China is a big country inhabited by many Chinese. (laughs) I wonder why France hasn't won a military conflict in like 100 years. Here's former U.S. Vice President Dan Quayle. I I like Dan Quayle. Didn't you like Dan Quayle? And I like Dan Quayle. He was at a United Negro College Fund. He was attempting to quote the line, a mine is a terrible thing to waste, but that's not how it came out. Here's how it came out. What a waste it is to lose one's mind. Or not to have a mind is being very wasteful. How true that is. Here's Hillary Clinton commenting on the release of subpoenaed documents. This is back when her husband was the president. She said, quote, I'm not going to have some reporters pawing through our papers. We are the president. <laughs> she may have been tipping her hand off a little bit early there. Here's Miss Alabama in the 1994 Miss USA contest. Now, don't leave the service saying the Baptist preacher condoned the Miss USA contest. Listen, I grew up in Georgia. We always tease people from Alabama. Hey, did you hear about the hurricanes that went through Alabama? They did a million dollars worth of improvements. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, hey, Georgia's getting a new zoo. We're going to fence in Alabama. But anyway, all the Alabama people, they say the same jokes about Georgia, you know. And and so here's Miss Alabama in the 1994 Miss USA contest. And in the interview portion of the pageant, they asked her this question, if you could live forever, would you and why? Man, what a softball question, man, for somebody, especially who's a Christian. Here is Alabama's finest, her answer beamed to billions of viewers worldwide. She said, and I quote, I would not live forever because if we should live forever, uh, I'm sorry, let me start over. I would not live forever because we should not live forever because if we were supposed to live forever, then we would live forever, but we cannot live forever, which is why I would not live forever. You know, I don't think she won, do you? <laughs> you know, Proverbs 10 says, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. 
but he that refraineth his lips is wise. Ecclesiastes 5.3, a fool's voice is known by the multitude of his words. In Proverbs 15.2, by the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. Ecclesiastes 10.14, a fool also is full of words. And how many things have been repeated with, uh, that made it gossip and slander about somebody else. And you repeated something about somebody else and just weren't thinking about what you were saying. And, and you damaged somebody else's testimony. Some people say, well, I just open up my mouth and just let her fly. And it usually sounds like it. It's a chattering tongue. If somebody doesn't think about what they're saying and they just talk and just whatever's in their heart just comes out or mind and, and there's no filter and it does incredible damage, it's called the chattering tongue. But number two, there's something called the complaining tongue. In Philippians 2.14, it says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. That means arguing about it and complaining about it. You know what, young person? You want to do all things without arguing with your mom and dad and without complaining about it. Without saying, oh, come on, dad, do I really have to do this? Come on, mom, nobody else has those rules. Why do I have to do that? You ought to do all things without complaining and arguing about it. Instead of complaining about not having the latest LeBron shoe or the latest PS4 game, or maybe you want that dress or whatever it happens to be, and maybe just complain. And you, it says do all things without murmuring and complaining. But I'll tell you, you know what, folks? You know why our kids complain? Because they hear dad walk in complaining about the long hours and the low pay. They hear mom complain about the good-for-nothing dad that's never involved spiritually in the life of the family. And you know what, man? They learn it from us. If you have an unqualified authority in your life at work and a boss that just makes work hard and, and man, you don't want to be under his authority, it's so easy to complain and just tear them down. You know what? We look at what we're teaching our kids. When you look at the scriptures, every time God's people complained, every time God's people complained, it was not long before God stepped in with swift, sudden, and severe judgment. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 10, 10, neither murmur you some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. It's referencing the angel of the Lord who killed 185,000 Assyrians. What was Paul talking about? He says, don't complain or murmur lest you be destroyed by the destroyer. He's referencing Numbers chapter 16, verse 40, uh, 41 and following. But on the morrow, all the congregation, the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, saying, ye have killed the people of the Lord. Moses, you brought us out to this place to kill us. We never should have listened to you. In verse 42, it came to pass when the congregation was gathered together against Moses and against Aaron that they looked toward the tabernacle of the congregation and behold, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared and God said, get you up from among this congregation that I may consume them as but in a moment and they fell on their faces. And you know what? If I were Moses, I would have stepped over to the side and said, have at it, God. These people are so stubborn, you're so good to them, and you're so merciful, and they go right back to their sin. Yeah, let's wipe them all out, and let's start this thing over again. You know what? How would you like to lead three million grumpy Jews in the woods and the wilderness for 40 years? And we revel in passages where Moses confronts them, but we ought to revel in passages like Numbers 16, 48. That wasn't Moses' attitude. You know what he did? And, Mo and he, that's Moses, stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stayed. Listen to me. Moses went to bat to God for the very people attacking him. Do you do that? Do you love people that way?
Or are you just like a nerve and someone touches you, man, you just explode. He stood between the dead and the living. And the plague was stayed, but before Moses could get to God, the Bible says in verse 49, then they that died in the plague were 14,700 beside them that died about the matter of Korah. Remember Korah? That guy was a piece of work, wasn't he? He didn't like Moses either, but instead of working it out with Moses, you know what he did? He went to the, le- the 70 leaders of Israel. He got them to take up his offense. They said, yeah, we shouldn't do it Moses' way. We ought to do it your way. Then he amassed a small little army. Then he went to Moses and said, well, we've all been talking. We got a problem. And they started to attack God's man instead of going to God's man individually. Remember what God did? Listen, every time God's people complained, God stepped in with swift, sudden, and severe judgment. God opened up the ground. He swallowed Korah. He swallowed all 70 of those leaders of Israel. He shut the ground back up and basically said, does anybody have any questions what I think about complaining? When we complain, it's an attack on God's character. Because you know what we're saying? We're saying, God, you're not good. God, you're not sovereign. God, you're not merciful. God, you're not who you say you are in the scriptures. Because if you were really who you say you are, you'd be doing all this different. Just scoot over and let me take control. That's exactly what we're doing when we complain. That we are attacking the very character and the goodness of our God. That's why in the scriptures, almost exclusively, he stepped in with swift, subtle, and severe judgment. You know what? Have you complained about maybe some rules in your house? Have you complained about some inequity that's been at work? Maybe the long hours and the low pay? Maybe you find something that just grates you about your spouse and maybe you just complain about that. That's the kind of tongue God's after, capture and control. That's doing incredible damage. There's also something called the crooked tongue. It's the kind of tongue that lies. Psalm 36, 3, the words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. In Proverbs 19, 9, a false witness shall not be unpunished. He that speaketh lies shall perish. In Proverbs 6, these six things that the Lord hate, seven are abomination unto him, a proud look and a lying tongue. You know what, folks? A half truth is a whole lie. Have you ever shaved the truth to put yourself in a better light to your spouse or your employer or somebody else than you really were? Hey, did you ever leave out part of the truth? You knew it would get you in trouble. You know, as a young person, maybe your, your parents say, hey, I don't want you to go over to Joe's house. So you go to Fred's house for five minutes. Then you go to Joe's house for five hours. You come home, your parents say, hey, where did you go? Oh, um, I went to Fred's house. Well, I didn't lie. Yeah, you went there for five minutes, but you left out part of the truth. You knew it would get you in trouble. And a half truth is always a full lie. And maybe there are some here tonight or maybe you're listening to me preach tonight online that this week or in the last two to three weeks, you've been dishonest about a matter and you know it. That's the, corrupt, that's the crooked tongue. Notice there's also something called the corrupt tongue. This is the kind of tongue that curses. This is the kind of tongue that uses the jokes with the sexual innuendo. This is the kind of tongue that looks both ways before you start telling the joke. This is the kind of tongue that uses the Christian curse words. You know what I mean when I say that? They begin with the same letter as the world's curse words, but don't worry, the world knows what you mean. Colossians 3, but now you also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. 
Proverbs 4.24, put away from the froward mouth, perverse lips, but far from thee. In Proverbs 10.32, the lips of the righteous, no one's acceptable, but the mouth of the wicked speaketh frowardness. I can't tell you how many people, how many Christians I meet that takes God's name in vain. Remember, I was at the, on staff at the Wilds Christian Camp for many, many years, and we would hook them up to this giant swing. It would bring them 80 feet up. We'd hook them in a full body harness. It brings them 80 feet in the air, and it drops them head first for about 30 feet, and then they go into this giant swing, and they would get all the way to the top, and it would click, and they would drop them, and they would say, oh, my, and then use God's name. At the end of the ride, we're unhooking their full body harness and said, hey, do you realize what you set up there? Oh, I'm sorry. I just wasn't thinking about it. That's what it means to use God's name in vain, to use it for no good reason. You commit blasphemy when you get angry and you say the words, Jesus Christ, or you text O-M-G. Same thing. God's name was so holy that when the scribes would make copies of the scripture. They wouldn't even write the vowels in his name, lest we dare write the name of God. They would take a ceremonial cleansing, get a new writing instrument, then come back to the, to the scriptures and just write God's name without the vowels. That's how much they revered his name. And I tell you, in 2020, we have such, we have such just a casual relationship with the God of heaven. Oh, we like his eminence. Because we like him near, and that he knows all of our troubles, but we don't like to talk about the transcendence of God. He is worthy of our reverence and our love. He is the one who redeemed you. The least we could do is give him our speech. Using the slang words with the double meaning. The psalmist said with a double heart, do they speak in this text in James chapter three? He said, out of the same out proceeded blessing and cursing. He says, brethren, my, my brethren, these things are not so to be. Listen, you shouldn't have one set of jokes that you tell with your friends at school and a different set of jokes that you tell, you know what, at church. You shouldn't laugh at one set of jokes and tell one set of jokes around the water cooler at work and then come home and tell the different jokes. You don't have one set of vocabulary at work, a different set of vocabulary at church. You know, God desires truth of the inward parts that are the same out, proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things are not so to be. And maybe, maybe you're not right with the Lord tonight because of a corrupt tongue. But I'll tell you, here's one that pierces my heart. Scripture talks about something called the cutting tongue. I came across a story studying for this message. There was a man in Los Angeles that drove, to the, uh, that drove to the west part of town. He procured the services of a woman of the night, okay, trying to be discreet. He drives over to the other side of town, <clears throat> goes in the hotel, goes to kiss her. She had hid razors in her mouth. And I don't mean to be graphic, but she had severed both of his lips from off of his face. That was her way of getting back at men they use women in that fashion. I know, I know that's graphic, but listen, listen what the scripture says. My mind, when I read that story, ran to Psalm 52 too. Thy tongue deviseth mischiefs like a sharp razor working deceitfully. Psalm 57, four, whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue, a sharp sword. Psalm 59, seven, swords are in their lips. Guys, have you ever had a week at work where everything that could go wrong went wrong? 
and you felt like you fought the Philistines all week long. You know what I mean when I say that? And you just come home and you want to decompress, and there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But when you walk in, there greets your sweet Christian wife, just wanted to tell you all about her day. And because you don't feel like talking, listen to me, guys, with one spoken word, you cut and wound and offend and lacerate your wife and kids far greater than that woman in Los Angeles ever dreamed about doing to that man. Mom, when your kid does the same thing for the thousandth time in a row and you just spew out your frustration and your anger and your vitriolic language, could I tell you, you are wounding and lacerating and cutting your kids or maybe your spouse far greater than that woman ever dreamed about doing in Los Angeles. And maybe eternity will only, t- only tell the damage that we have done right here, and you don't even know it. Ever know somebody that was just so abrasive, and they had such a cutting tongue, everybody else knew it but that person? Oh, don't bring that issue up to that person. That's a train wreck waiting to happen. You know what, one of the ways currently that in churches they use a cutting tongue? You know, with the COVID-19 and the coronavirus, it was just, it's such a crazy time. And there was a new normal that we all had to find. We all had our made, our made our way through it. But you know what I've observed is I literally have talked to hundreds of pastors and have just ministered to churches all over the country that really this coronavirus issue was a, and those listening online, it, it really is a divisive issue that there, it just seemed like it just polarized people. There are people who are thinking, you know what? This is completely ridiculous. This is so dumb. All of these regulations and wearing masks in the Costco and, and all this other stuff, this is just completely stupid. Then you have maybe the other side that says, you know what? This is very serious. We don't want to bring a, a hidden enemy into our home. Maybe there's somebody in their home, like in our church, that is going through cancer. They have a compromised immune system. Even a common cold could mean the end of their life. And, and so they're very, very careful. And, and maybe this side doesn't know anybody that's ever had COVID-19. Maybe this side knows people who have died from it. And and it just, it just pushed us to either side to have opinions on either side of this issue. And it's amazing that both sides are very strong in their opinions of how they want to handle this. And this is something that the churches are going to have to work through because when they start getting back together again, we have to have our speech seasoned with salt and with grace. And there could be other people that may see it differently than we see it. And they may be doing something different with COVID-19 than we would do. It's a chance for us to love the brethren. It's a chance for us to love other people and extend some grace and extend some mercy. Listen, this is what God's people are known for. And by the way, when the world looks at that, they go, wow, something different about those people. They have differing opinions, but look how they love each other. Everybody, we know the love of God because we love each other and we love the brethren. Maybe you have a cutting tongue with somebody else and maybe you're, maybe you're a young person and you, you just cut somebody else down because maybe they're a better athlete than you are. They look uh, maybe more attractive than you and, and, and you just cut them down to make yourself feel better about yourself. It's something called the cutting tongue. And I say, preacher, well, so what? 
So what if we've got some of those kinds of tongues that the Bible describes as we read in verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on the fire of course of nature and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents of things in the sea attained and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Tongue has the power to dominate, it has the power to defile, but number three, it has the power to destroy. There is incredible damage that is done right here by our tongue. I had a chance to spend some time with a professional ball player in Atlanta, Georgia. I was spending some time with him to share the gospel with him, to build bridges to him. Baseball was his professional uh, sport, but we had a church basketball team that we played other churches in town, and, we, and he liked basketball, so we invited him to play with us, and, and, and he agreed to. We were all excited, get him around some other guys that are Christians and show them we're real guys too, you know, and, and maybe we'll have the chance to share the gospel with him with the very first game. The point guard for the other, other team, the other church across town, stole the ball from our point guard, and he went the length of the court, went up to make a layup. This professional baseball player, man, it was awesome. It was like a LeBron chase down. He chased him down the whole length of the court. When the guy went up to make a layup, he pinned it on the backboard, like right in the middle of the square box. I mean, right to the side of it, but that's how high it was. Man, it was awesome. And the ref called a foul. I didn't even think it was a foul. I thought, man, this is just part of the game. The professional baseball player on our team even raised his hand, indicating, you know what, ref, good call. The Christian point guard from the church across town turned around and looked at this unsafe professional baseball player and swore at him. That professional baseball player has never stepped foot in church again. He said, Ron, why do I need to go to church? That guy talks just like me. I want to go back to Atlanta, George, and find that guy and just put my arm around him and say, man, do you know the damage that you did right here? It's the power to destroy. The tongue is a fire. There's a cow in the O'Leary barn that walked out of the O'Leary barn, scraped up next to a lantern. One little spark flew out out of the lantern. What could that do? It fell in a pile of hay. The pile of hay caught on fire. The fire not only spread to that pile of hay, but it spread to the O'Leary barn. And not only spread to the O'Leary barn, but it spread to the O'Leary farm. And not only spread to the O'Leary farm, but it burned half the city of Chicago down. That's how the great Chicago fire got started. It left over 100,000 people homeless. It cost the city of Chicago like $2.7 million. That was in the 1870s. And you can even go home and Google the Chicago fire and look at the damage, but it all came with one little spark. And God's saying, your tongue is a fire. You know what? These sparks, these words that we speak that come out, they're little sparks. But some of us, we maybe have flamethrowers. Look at the damage that we could be done. The tongue is the power to destroy, is the power to dominate, the power to defile. But, but number four, and quickly, the tongue has the power to delight. Man, your tongue is a weapon. You realize God could use your tongue to do some great things. Your tongue, it's by the tongue how you witness and how we share the gospel. God could tremendously use your tongue when it is captured and when it is controlled. 
The Bible talks about here in, in, in James chapter 13. It says, Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made of the similitude of God. Out of the same out proceeding blessing and cursing, but there can be blessing that comes out of it. It has the power to delight. Don't underestimate the power of your words when they are spirit-driven and spirit-controlled. I'm telling you, they can do some wonderful things. The Bible says that a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. A word fitly spoken, that means the right word. The, of Proverbs says, a word spoken in due season, how good it is. So in other words, the right word at the right time could do some amazing things for the glory of God. Mary grew up hating the fact that she was different. She was born with a cleft palate. She had to bear the stares of cruel children as they tease her nonstop about her misshaped lip and her garbled speech. She was convinced nobody outside of her family could ever, could ever love her until she entered Mrs. Leonard's classroom. Mrs. Leonard had a a warm smile, shiny brown hair. Everyone in the class liked Mrs. Leonard, but Mary loved Mrs. Leonard. Came to the point every year that they would have an annual hearing test. They called it the whisper test. You would walk up to the teacher's desk, you would cover your ear, and then you would listen to what the teacher would whisper, and then you would repeat it back to her. That's how they screened for poor hearing in the 1950s. And so in addition to having a cleft palate, she could barely hear out of one of her ears and determined not to let the kids have another difference to point out and make fun of her about. She cheated on the whisper test every year. She walked up to Mrs. Leonard's desk. She turned her bad ear to her teacher, pretended to cover her good ear. She didn't, but she was cheating. She often knew the teachers would say things like, the sky is blue, we'll color your shoes, but not on that day. Surely God put... Seven words in Mrs. Leonard's mouth that would change the life of Mary forever. When it came time for the whisper test, Mary heard these words. I wish you were my little girl. Seven insignificant words maybe to that teacher changed the life of Mary forever. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Listen, that you might minister grace to the hearers. Remember what I said last night, that grace was God's power for God's people to do God's plan? Do you realize that the right word at the right time can literally minister the power of God to other people? George Whitfield was coming to the end of his ministry, so we thought he was at a pastor's fellowship, and all the other preachers were talking about all the burdens in the ministry and how they longed to lay their minister responsibilities down and just go to be with the Lord. But the oldest pastor in the room wasn't taking part of the conversation, so Whitfield decided to press him. He said, sir, do you not long to go see our Savior? He said, I would have none of it. It's up to God when I leave this planet, but it's up to me to be as faithful and fervent as I can while I'm still here. You know, Whitfield took that as a gentle rebuke from that elderly pastor, the right word at the right time, and those two sentences sparked such a fire in his heart that it burned for another 20 years, and who knows, the countless thousands that were saved under the ministry of George Whitfield because one pastor had the right word at the right time. King, don't undersell this. The tongue has the incredible power to delight and we could share the gospel with our tongue and you could literally minister the power of God, the grace of God to people and you could build them up with the power of your tongue. Well, preacher, how do I tame it? Just quickly at the end of chapter three, notice what he says here. He gives two pictures again to say the same thing. 
My brethren, these things ought not to be. Doth the fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? And can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. You know what he's saying? If you want to know what's going to grow in a field, go find out what's planted there. You can't have a fountain that has salt water and fresh water. It doesn't work that way. Can you imagine if we had salt water coming in to the water pipes here at the church? I mean, we're hundreds of miles from the ocean. We're like, we have a major problem. You know what they wouldn't do? Just put a filter on the water. We got to figure out where that's coming from. So you know what? You're going to track down the source of where it's coming from. You know, there's two ideas that James gives to us here, how to tame the tiger behind the teeth. Number one, identify the source or the root of the problem. And you know what our Lord said? He said, the things that you speak, you know what, they proceed out of our, out of our heart. And really, we've got to identify really the root of the problem. And Matthew 12, it says, a generation of vipers. How can he being evil speak good things for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh? Have you ever said, oh, I didn't mean to say that. You know what the problem is? Yeah, you did. You know how you change? Listen, you know how you change your speech? The devil would love for people to come forward tonight and say, oh God, forgive me of my tongue, amen, and go right back home. You know why? Because you never dealt with the issue. That's putting a Band-Aid where you need a tourniquet. You gotta get changed from the inside out. Your heart has to change. It's a heart issue. You know why you have a complaining tongue? Because gratitude has died on the altar of your heart. You know why many times we have a cutting tongue? Because in our heart, we're bitter and we're angry. You know why we have a lying tongue? Because our heart is deceitful. And if we never have a heart change, we're going to go right back to these types of speech. He says, identify the root of the problem, whether it's laziness with a chattering tongue or whether it's ingratitude with a complaining tongue or anger with a cutting tongue, deceitfulness with a lying tongue, whatever it is, identify the root of the problem. And notice what he says in verse eight, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. You see right there, preacher, I can't tame my tongue. Listen, the Bible did not say the tongue can't be tamed. He said no man could do it. You need to identify the root of the problem. Number two, implement the resources for power. And you know what they are? They are the word of God and the spirit of God. As you identify the heart root problem, you need to memorize scripture on those specific areas. Get them into your life, those trigger verses, and let God change you from the inside out. And then when your heart is changed by the impact of the word of God through the spirit of God, and your heart is changed supernaturally through the power of God, that's when you can begin to have victory over your tongue. Identify the root of the problem, implement the resource for power. Several years ago, Seyfried and Roy performed at the Mirage Theater in Las Vegas. They were the foremost tiger trainers in the world. It was during one of the least spectacular parts of the show that Montecor comes on stage. A white seven-year-old Bengal tiger named Montecor comes out and Roy gives him sort of an embrace, but not on that night. Roy, uh, Roy noticed that the lion was distracted by a woman in the front and it locked in just looking at her. And he didn't like that. So he positioned his body in between the line of sight. Well, the tiger moved around her and locked in again on that woman. Roy pulled his chain, not once, not twice, as many as five times saying, no, no. And then witnesses agree. One fan has seen the show over a hundred times. He said, Roy tripped and made a sudden stumble. That quick movement caught the eye of the cat. Something inside that tiger just snapped. He returned to his beast-like nature. And that tiger attacked his master from his very birth. 
biting into Roy's throat, severing his jugular vein, dragging Roy like a ragdoll all over the stage, leaving a trail of blood. But the crew backstage was trained for an incident such as this. This had never happened at 30,000 performances, but they knew exactly what to do. The tiger came backstage. They sprayed the cat with a fire extinguisher. He released Roy. They took the tiger back to his cage. They took Roy to the hospital where he battled for his very life. And many of you may remember that story several years ago. Here's one of the greatest tiger tamers in the world. And the tiger almost destroyed him. Gang, if you don't tame this tiger behind your teeth, I'm talking about dads, you're going to deteriorate and ruin your marriage. And moms and young people, it could collapse the testimony of the church and the devil is sitting there laughing at you. It's a huge issue. You can make an impact with your tongue. It's a weapon. Either it's going to be a stepping stone to heaven or a stumbling block to hell. Your tongue is the power to delight. Would you let God tame your tiger behind the teeth? Would you stand quietly as we pray? Father, thank you for our time together tonight and for your word. Lord, we pray that you would speak to hearts here tonight. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I just wonder if you're here tonight, you'd say, you know what, preacher? Man, there was something in the message that I needed tonight. And you know what? God spoke right to me. You know what? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand along with mine? Would you just do that tonight? Just all over the building. Would you just do that? Praise God for you. Praise God. There was something in the message I needed. Listen, this is what revival looks like. Isn't this wonderful? Heaven is in motion. God's working. Would you just take just 30 seconds tonight? And would you just talk to the Lord about that?